You'll know real when you get it. It will say eBay Authenticity Guarantee, and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like a gem, sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things that you love are checked by experts. Not just any experts, specialized experts. Real people who love this stuff with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Lips are telling me yes, while you're kissing on my neck, making me feel so, should I stay? Hello, hello, it's Brooke Devard, and you're listening to the Naked Beauty Podcast. I have some very exciting news, but let me set the scene first. It's day 11 into my LA trip, and I'm sitting in my hotel room on back-to-back conference calls, and I get a DM from Barry. Barry runs Podcasts in Color, which is this really fabulous resource for people of color in podcasting. And the DM says, congratulations on your iHeart podcast nomination. And I'm like, wait, what? Then she sends me a screenshot of the nominees and I see right there, Best Beauty and Fashion Podcast, Naked Beauty Independent. I was like, wow. Like, I I honestly couldn't comprehend what was happening. Like, my heart rate started beating really fast. I'm nominated with Forever 35, Fat Mascara, Dressed, The History of Fashion, and New York Mag's The Cut on Tuesdays. All fabulous podcasts. I look at the other nominees. Best Overall Host, Female. I see Amanda Seals, Jenna Wortham, who I love, Rachel Maddow. Like, these are women that I look up to so much. Oprah's Super Soul Conversation is nominated as one of the best kind of spiritual podcasts. Just to be in the same sphere or nominee list as Oprah is unreal. And then when you look at the podcasts of the year, The Daily from the New York Times, The Joe Rogan Experience, The Read, like The Read and The Joe Rogan Experience are the podcasts that I've listened to for over five years. And really what's inspired me to like get into the podcast game and to become a podcaster myself. So this has been an incredible journey. And really, this is a nomination for all of us, the whole community, my guests, all of the listeners. Thank you guys so much. You know, I started this show in my living room on a shoestring budget, and I'm so happy that these conversations are really resonating with people. It's just really such an incredible honor. It's been four days since I found out, and it still doesn't quite feel real. If the angel or angels, plural, that nominated me for this category are listening to this, thank you so, so much. This is really just such an incredible recognition of all of the work and passion and love that pours into this show. And I think there is some sort of social media component. If you want to go to Twitter, you can tweet hashtag iHeartPodcastAwards and um, hashtag NakedBeautyPodcast. But I'm still honestly trying to figure out how the voting mechanics work. Like, I don't know if it's even actually an awards ceremony. Do I get to go? What am I going to wear? There are still lots of unanswered questions. But for now, I'm just celebrating the nomination 
nomination. And I'm so, so grateful for this recognition. So I just had to share the news with all of you and express how grateful I am for the recognition. But let's get back to regularly scheduled programming. Today's episode is with curator, writer, and art lover. She's a social media marketing strategist, and she's beloved by the art and fashion world alike, a fellow Leo. And I was so excited to have Kimberly Drew on Naked Beauty. So Kimberly, if you don't already follow her, she goes by at Museum Mammy on Instagram, about 245,000 other people do. And she's really made a name for herself and already at her very young age has left a legacy. So Kimberly graduated in 2012 from Smith College, where she studied art history and Africana studies. But it's all of the side hustle outside of the classroom that really makes her special. Her sophomore year, she interned at Studio Museum in Harlem with the legendary Thelma Golden. And she also started a Tumblr account called Black Contemporary Art in 2011. So her last corporate gig was actually at the Metropolitan Museum of Art, where she ran the Instagram account there. But she's been gone for about a year, just doing freelance, her own writing, doing different like branded content stuff, just really living her own life. And we get into that shift in the episode as well. But what I love so much about Kimberly is not only is she so thoughtful and such a passionate lover of art and culture, she also knows how to have fun. Like I follow her. She's at the club. She's dancing, dropping it like it's hot. Like she definitely is a girl who knows how to do both. I think you guys are going to love the episode. As always, I'm at Brooke DeVard on all social platforms. Tag me while you're listening. Take a screenshot, tag at Naked Beauty Planet. That's our community on Instagram where we talk about the episodes and all things beauty. I'm also putting tons of clips from all of the interviews that I'm doing on the Naked Beauty Planet IGTV account. So look out for those. If you're not subscribed, subscribe to the podcast. New episodes every Monday. Rate and review if you love the show. And thank you for all of the love and support. Let's get into the episode. You'll know real when you get it. It will say eBay authenticity guarantee and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like a gem, sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things that you love are checked by experts. Not just any experts, specialized experts. Real people who love this stuff with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. I am here with Kimberly Drew. You go by Kimberly, not Kim. That's explicit on your bio. Yes. Is that something that you have to correct people on a lot? Often. Really? Yes. Even though it's on your bio? Yes. Have you just always not liked the name Kim? I The, the problem is that I used to go by Kim. It was one of those things where, you know, uh, or well, you have your name is Brooke, so it's not the yeah. same, but I think a multisyllabic name. Mm-hmm. People were like, oh, can I call you Kim or Kimberly? And yeah. I always said, oh, it doesn't matter. And then I had this epiphany that it really does matter. Yeah. Your parents named you Kimberly. Yeah. You want to wear that name. Yeah. <laughs> so you interview a lot of people. Do you like being on the other side? Like, Yeah, yeah. I like making media in general. Okay. And I don't discriminate on either side. 
if that makes sense. I see. I see. Yeah. Do you have a preference though? Not at this stage in my life. Yeah, I feel like you're yeah. kind of... You're, I just you, don't feel like they're different things. It's like it's all work, if that makes sense. Oh, interesting. But the work of interviewing someone, I feel like is different than answering questions, but maybe not. No, I think they're the same. You've had some very, very like big interviews in the past year. Um, mm. Tina Lawson was that in this year? That was... Last year. Last year. Yeah. But the best. Like, oh. oh, just like being in her home, talking about her art collection. Such an amazing profile. Lupita Nyong'o, you had that cover story for Vanity Fair, which I have here. Yeah. Like, I just feel like you've had so many really big interviews this year. Do, yeah. do you get nervous before? Honestly, no. There's part of me that feels, you know, a lot of emotions going into it, but fear isn't necessarily on the register mm-hmm. or nerves isn't necessarily on the register. But I will say when I sat down with Lupita... I was like, oh, I'm going to be fine. And then we yeah. sat down together and I was like, nope, I'm not fine. Like yeah. decidedly not fine. Right. But she was just so kind yeah. and so thoughtful and so patient really? and like watched me not nervously not eat my lunch while oh we sat God. together, made room for yeah. the nerves, which That's calmed beautiful. me a lot. That's beautiful. Yeah. And she's just, she's such a like true movie star. Yeah. Like just absolutely gorgeous and talented and. And a fabulous human being. Yeah. Like we had such good chats in advance of that story and the time that she took to be, I was going to say the word articulate, but I hate when people describe black people as articulate, <laughs> but the way that she really was very set on choosing her words with intention and thoughtfulness and compassion for herself and others. I was just like, you are it. Yes. Like I was already ride or die. <laughs> but now I'm like in. But now I'm like yeah. in it. In and it, it, in yeah. it. Yeah. And it came across in the story. Yeah. So good job on that. One of the things that you talk about is like the benefit of naivete. Mm-hmm. And this is actually a quote from you. So you say, I'm very thankful that I hadn't been steeped in what I know about the art world to be now. Because if I looked back at it, I would have never been that ambitious to think that I could have an authority or voice in this kind of space. Mm. The way that you kind of entered the art world from an outsider's perspective, I feel like already that was the credibility that people didn't realize was going to be so important, right? Because I feel like the art world is so insular. And Mm. when you are an outsider, you're able to like take up space in a different way. That's true and untrue. Mm. Okay, say more. It just depends on how you enter as with any industry, Mm -hmm. right? I came in as a relative insider, but also as a child, (laughs) right? but also as a person who is really committed to being there. Mm. And I think if I had come in with maybe more or less love, mm-hmm. I wouldn't have been this successful, mm. you know? Yes. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Where it's like when you show up in, a, in an industry and you know you want to be there, your tolerance is higher, your commitment is higher, mm-hmm. the hours feel different. So for me, I think it's it's really just because I, I really, really loved it and really, really wanted to make it work for myself. Right. But I love that you brought that quote up because it was it was it's only a recent epiphany that I'm like, wow, that was a really gutsy thing. To yes, do. exactly, exactly, right. And I did it with like extreme humility in general, mm-hmm. I think, and yeah, naivete. But it was coming from a space of just like I found this thing that makes me so happy. Right. It was internship at the Studio Museum in Harlem. It was seeing Kahinde Wiley's work for the first time mm-hmm. that I was like, my life is just different now, mm-hmm. and I know I need to be in these spaces. Yeah. And I think it's so beautiful that you were able to connect with Thelma Golden, Studio Museum in Harlem, longtime listener of Naked Beauty. So hi, Thelma, if you're listening. (laughs) But she went to Smith College as well Mm -hmm. and also studied art history Mm -hmm. and African-American studies. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what you studied. What was it like to be able to see someone who was a Black woman as well in the art world and have that connection so early on? It tripped me out at first. You know, it's like you sit in a room as an intern 
just dusty. Like I was the dustiest <laughs> intern, I think, maybe in the studio museum's history. And I rolled into that building, not sure what I was setting myself up for. And I think the only thing that I knew was that Thelma existed and that she was a person that I wanted to learn from. Mm. And one of the first days of the internship, we sat together as like a inter- intern cohort. And everyone went around the room and they were like, oh, this is my name. This is where I study. This is what I study. And I'm sitting, you know, right next to Thelma. And I think either she said it first or I said it first, but it was like, you know, Kimberly Drew, Smith College, African-American studies and art history. And she's like, Thelma Golden, you Smith call, you know, like same, same. And I was just like, (sighs) yeah. Um, (laughs) But it was a thrill and it remains a thrill to know that this person who I admire so deeply exists. And over the years of me growing and maturing and trying to wayfind for who I want to be in this mm-hmm. in this space, to know someone and to be proximate to someone who is just such a light right, is such a gift. And I don't think that people really understand how tremendous of a person she is. And so beyond the proximity of like, oh, this person is a superstar. Like this yes. is our Beyonce. Yes. Um, Beyonce of the art world. Beyonce of the art world. But also this is a person who will sit with you. This is a person who will show up. And yeah for so many years, consistently showing up with thoughtfulness and compassion. And before we started the interview, you were saying that Thelma's a listener. It's like, nothing about that is surprising to me because that's the kind of person that she is. Mm -hmm. Just, and has great taste. So here we are. Yes, exactly, exactly. (laughs) But your your willingness to embrace other people and to be continually thoughtful and compassionate, you posted something, I think this week, where you said that you can't flex on me, love, but like Mm -hmm. I'm happy for you. Yeah, yeah. Tell me more about that that line of thinking because I think it's powerful. Yeah, it was it was a post that I found on my friend Scott does this or like a friend of a friend. His Instagram story is just kind of like a daily digest for everyone. Okay, His love Instagram it. is like at switch. And it's so good because it's like the funniest memes. He does polls and like love really it. is super engaging. And he's a fantastic photographer, first and foremost. Okay. But his Instagram story is kind of like, you know, you check in like as other people would read newsletters. Yes. Okay. People look Um, forward to them. Right. It came up on his page. I screenshotted it and reposted it because it's that energy that I really, I feel so profoundly fed by. Or it's like, I just don't have like a register of envy Mm -hmm. at this stage of my life. And I'm so thankful for it every day. Yeah. Like that's just not my chemical makeup. And of course, there are moments where I feel self critical, mm-hmm. but I feel really profoundly happy that at this stage, I can look to my left and my right and see people doing really well yes. and just be like, yes. Right. Like, yes on you, you know? Yes. I think that you probably have envy coming at you at both sides, right? Because I think people in the art world are probably very envious that you get to work with all of the fashion brands and do the glamorous stuff and you're on billboards in Paris. And then maybe people in the fashion world are also envious because you're not just like a fashion influencer. You also have some substance Mm -hmm. and like a point of view. You kind of don't belong in one or the other, but you find yourself kind of continually in both. And Mm -hmm. I would imagine that elicits a lot of jealousy from people. I hope not. I hope that jealousy isn't the register. You know, I'm sure you're aware that people are envious of you and your success. I would say that it's not something that I invite, though. Like mm. per what you're saying, it's like it's not something that I'm like, yes, these bitches hate me. Like, no, <laughs> that's not really my my general modus. Yes, I'm genuinely like, especially because I straddle between these two industries. I hope that at very base and core, 
some of the things that I can do, some of the things that I've accomplished, some of the things that I've earned can be a possibility model. Where like for me, that's why I say where it's like, I don't live in this space of like extreme envy. Mm -hmm. It's self-critical where I'm like, oh, I want these things. Yes. Yes. And so how can I get myself to be, you know, this or that or that or this to do these things too? And a lot of my career, when I began it, I really started on Instagram because I could not believe that I got a job in the arts. Hmm. Like that's really like where the language started. Cause I was like, I grew up in New Jersey. I didn't come from a lot of monetary wealth, extreme mm-hmm. cultural wealth. Mm-hmm. There's all these X's across my identity that mean that I shouldn't be here. Hmm. And so I started using Instagram as a platform to say like, if I can do this, yes. anybody can. Anyone can. And is this, you were saying specifically with Museum Mammy or when yeah. you were doing social for the Met? Okay. Yeah. Long yeah. before the Met. Yeah. Long before the Met. Yeah. When I was just frat, like, just okay. still smelled like college, you yes, know? Yes. Ramen smell just like <laughs> seeping out of my skin. Right. Um, that was kind of the beginning intention of a lot of the media that I make on social. Mm-hmm. And so I think for me, I, yeah, sure. Like I live an incredible life. And of course, there could be room for envy from other people. Yeah. I'd be an idiot to say that people aren't. Right. But I also am like, how can we, the thing that for me that's more fascinating is possibly that like, I may have accomplished something with my background mm-hmm. that could let people know that they could do it too. Right. They see it and they know it's possible. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go back to Orange, New Jersey. Mm-hmm. You went to a very diverse school when you were growing up where mm-hmm. you saw lots of different people. Mm-hmm. And then you went to boarding school in Rhode Island where you were, is it correct that you were the only black girl? Mm-hmm. Okay. So I was like one of four black girls in my class. And I feel like that was crazy. Mm-hmm. Where'd you grow up? Uh, here in New York City. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah, I went to Spence on the okay. Upper East Side. Oh, wow. Okay, so you know. <laughs> you okay. already know that. Yeah, I yeah, know. yeah, yeah, yeah. Being the only one is really different. What was that like for you in terms of how you saw yourself and your perception of your own beauty? Finding myself in, you mean like high school beauty self? Yeah. Ooh, child. Oof. Because <laughs> that's when you went to boarding school, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. And it was and it was also a thing that I really chose for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I went from a very black middle school in Newark, New Jersey, which is actually really where I would say my greatest articulations of like the beauty that I idolized were developed. Mm. It was like lip gloss and like <laughs> perfectly manicured brows. And, yeah. you know, like it was like the Jersey dress era. Like, yes. There was nothing more beautiful to me than like, you know, kind of like Maya in the best of me video. Oh, of course. That Iconic. was it. Right. Yeah, like that, that was, was just, that was it. That, that was, was peak. <laughs> my, my self-esteem was built back from that image. Yes. Yes. Or like black on the cover of that album. And so I have these ideas of what I thought beautiful was. Mm-hmm. And then I ended up in like wasp central. In right, success, yeah. where it's like tiny and thin and neatly Blonde. manicured and brown hair as exotic, <laughs> quite literally. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so it was a shock to the system because I was like, wait, 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 wait. Like, why are small butts valuable here? You know, like right. just those weird things. Yeah. You're like, oh, we have this completely different value system. Right. Neither right nor wrong. We just are coming at all these things very differently. Right. And it was hard to be there because. I'd come from this very Black upbringing, mm-hmm. not living up to what I believed to be Black beauty standards. And then I was like, now I have this whole new set to contend with. Right. This is bullshit. And so it was a real rough journey for me. It really was. I didn't think of myself in any proximity to beauty for a really long time. Really? Yeah. Wow. Um, and I was learning all these things, you know, and I, I'm. It's it's so lovely for me now to find myself in more of these kinds of avenues because I feel like for most of my life, yeah, I've been 
learning and obsessed with art and fashion and culture and all these things, obsessed with beauty, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But it was only recently that I started feeling more acquainted with it just because of that extreme shift. Yes. You have beautiful locks now. How was your hair in high school? Oh, my God. Because you're away from home. Yeah, it was mess. It was mess. Did you straighten it? Like, did you feel pressure to conform to what you saw around you? Yes. So when I was in middle school, actually, was when I decided I wanted to get locks. Okay. Oh, wow. Ahead of your time. Like, and, Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. I was, also in Jersey, it was like very, like it wasn't as uncommon. Okay. And I remember going to this other kid in my class and was like, I think I want to do this. We weren't even like, I didn't even have that many friends then, but he was like a person in my math class, whatever. And I was like, I think I want to get locks. And he's like, you'd look so ugly. <gasps> mm-hmm. How dare he? And because I was an eighth grader, I just believed him, you know, I was oh just like, God. well, I guess yeah, I won't do this thing. <laughs> and then I got to high school and because I was away from home, I had a lot of cornrows and braids. Yeah. Oh, I loved them too. I had like Iverson braids and the, yes. whole, the whole nine. But of course, in New England beauty standards, mm-hmm. far from it, right? right. Um, and then I m- maneuvered over to like box braids. And then I finally had Marley twists. And that was when I was like, okay, I do need to just lock my hair. Yeah. Because this is the look that I want to go for. Yes. And I want it to be mine. And I want it to be mine. Yeah. yeah very much so. It was a transition because I cut my hair off to do it. And so I was, oh. my hair was really short before. At what age? Some people, some people will lock them with their hair longer already yeah. or some sort of fro. You started um, from scratch. I started from scratch because my hair was permed. Okay. And so I went from perm to big cut or big chop. Big chop, and yeah. And then um, big cut. That's how far I am from it. <laughs> um, into into locks in how, college. How old were you when you did the big chop? 18. That's okay. And I, I started perming at 10. Wow. And so what was that adjustment period like for you, seeing just your own hair grow up? Because I, I did the big chop around that age too. Yeah. Were you still at Spence? No, actually, I was 19. I was at Stanford already. Okay, because I was going to say, I was like, I can't imagine doing that at Spence. Like, they yeah. would lose their minds. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I, I was like the sew-in. Like, I had every, like, it was either straightened or sew-in. I can't even remember wearing my hair curly back then. Yeah. It's just crazy. But yeah, I remember, like, I was dating someone at the time, and I remember lots of, like, earrings. Like, I felt like I had to have, like, big earrings all the time in mm. my big shop face, because I think I was so used to having hair as, like, mm. this shield. Mm-hmm. Um, what was it like for you? The same. Yeah. I was like big hoops all yeah. day. Yeah, every day. My mother hated it. She's like, your hair is too short for these earrings that are so big. <laughs> I just remember getting to this argument with her and I was like, but I need something. Yeah, I need something dangling. Some like weight on this part of my body or I just, I feel obtuse. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I cut my hair off and I think it was such a, like thinking about it now with all this distance, it was such a profoundly important thing to do mm-hmm. because it also, there's something about that big chop that requires you to look at yourself. Yes. Because it's just such a modernity, right? Like we look at ourselves more than anybody else. Yep. And when that drastic of a shift happens, that's why people melted down on AMTM because it's like, oh my God, you know, that, yes. you that moment and you're just like, this is not how I know myself. Yes. Um, and so beyond like natural hair journey, because I think sometimes it's siphoned into that for many black mm-hmm, black femmes, mm-hmm. but just this shift in the way that like you've been looking at yourself. Absolutely. Um, and I think that the boarding school experience more than anything else made me surveil my body so much that mm. by the time it came to this like big robust change, I was just a little bit in shock. And then as it started to grow out, just got really into it. There's also something about locking your hair because it is such a tactile experience. Like I rolled my own hair for a long time. And so checking in with each piece of your hair every six weeks puts you really close to it. Right. 
versus being having it in braids or under like where you really you're so disconnected from what's going on. Yeah. Or you go into the hair salon. Yeah. Someone else just does it. Yeah. Yeah. And and those spaces can be so complicated, too. Mm hmm. Yes. Hair shame, hair shame. Yeah. Uh, like I would go into a beauty salon and like dissociate for two hours, come out with box braids. Like, oh, yeah. Very different than yeah. me sitting on, you know, whatever, my mom's couch, retwisting right. my locks. What's the long, like before you did your locks, what was the longest time you ever spent getting box braids in? Ooh, probably it's under four hours. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. But I it can... would always be like some tag team situation. Okay. Like a two person team. Yeah. I can remember like just days of my life in adolescence that I just lost to sitting in a hair salon, you yeah. know, and to think that like other kids don't have to do that. Not that we had to do it, yeah. but it's just kind of what you see modeled. Yeah. What but was... isn't that an interesting question of if we had to do it, right? Because it's it feels like that. Like yeah. it, it feels when you're- I was on the swim team. It felt like team. that for me as a young yeah. person. Like it felt like my, right. Yeah. Right. It feels like your duty to yes. be kept. Yes. You know? Or kept or whatever. Kept, yeah. Yeah, like, oof. I mean, yeah, I think that the reality is like if you're going to summer camp or you're on the swim team, like you just you're not going to wear your natural. I mean, you can. You can. And actually, probably today, people are a lot more educated on how to care for it. Like we didn't have YouTube. It was yeah. just whatever you could figure out. Yeah. <laughs> Us and our saboteur. Like, yes. How far are you going to go? Exactly. In which either direction? Because exactly. you don't exactly. have to deal with your decisions. Exactly. Yeah. So now you're very intentional about your look, right? Like you have like a very distinct personal style and like. You have a look, right? Do you feel like you came into that at Smith in college? I don't know that I would say that I I have a look, and that's you and that being okay. the, that being the answer to the question where it's like okay. every day does feel like this journey. I'm a Leo also, and like same, same, same. Oh yeah, so you know, it's yeah. like that's why like like it's Halloween week, whatever. Yeah. I always am like so tickled by it because I yeah. feel like life as a Leo is like oh, kind of every day is Halloween. Oh my God. Okay. And it's just how we adorn ourselves totally. to go out into the world. Totally. It's a totally. thing. Totally. And so, yeah, definitely have like a, I wear a lot of colors and my hair looks like this, but I would never say like, a look necessarily yeah. I just have you, like spaces that feel like yeah. home yeah. or like you know you have those new days where you whip something out and you're like yeah. well I guess for the next few weeks this will be this will be it this will be it um <laughs> and I think that that as a practice because I think that embedded in that practice is where I find like the love for myself the most mm. definitely started at Smith yeah definitely started at Smith and it was actually a day in my high school life where I wore I didn't dress for attention until I got to Smith. Mm. And one of the days that I was at St. George's school, which is where I went to high school, I put on a turtleneck, black turtleneck and these dockers, green docker pants. And I was walking into, I was walking through campus and was just so comfortable yes. for the first time in my skin. And I don't know what it was, but in that moment, I was like, I want to be on a campus where I feel like I can be as comfortable in my own skin as possible. Ah. And for some reason, it dawned on me that a woman's college would be the would space be that I could do that. Yeah. Then I got to this women's college where it was so much so that you could be whoever the fuck you raised. Right. right. That I was like, oh, when there's no hard limits on either edge. Yes. I can find a little bit more room for myself. Mm -hmm. I can be a little bit more forgiving of myself. Yes. I can take up a little bit more space. Yep. And it's an ongoing journey since then. Mm -hmm. But at Smith, it was like any given week, you could be at a costume party, period. Oh, yeah, of because course. Because that's what you'd like. We yeah, had teas and there was up. always some occasion. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, there were people who did live action role play on campus. Yes. There were people who actively wore capes every day. <laughs> yes. There were people who wore like their traditional garb from home. Oh, that's amazing. With no contest. 
Yeah. And that, that part of that community, and it's not idyllic in any way. It's not, it's an imperfect space, you know, mm-hmm. in, in all the senses. But there was something about being on that campus that reminded you that if you wanted to try it, you could. You could. And even if you got a weird look, there was a particular safety that at the, in the time, and especially in the beginning of the time that I was there, I felt. Yeah. To explore. Yeah. This, this idea that you're talking about, especially like as Aaliyah, when you dress, you basically create a new persona every time you go out. I can remember being in high school and seeing Paris is burning for the first time Mm -hmm. and like the categories for each of the balls. And like, even today, when I think about how I get dressed to go out, it's like, I'm literally thinking like, I'm serving this for this. Like I'm serving Gothic glamour for this black tie event. Like Mm -hmm. I literally go into like category mode and then create like a version of myself. It's a real thing. Yeah. I wonder (laughs) if this is like a Leo specific thing. I don't know if it's a Leo specific thing. I feel like Libras do it too. Oh, really? But Oh, it's such a Leo. I feel like there's so many Leos in my life. Like, you know, watching us pack for trips. Oh my God. Like, yeah, it's just ridiculous. I've already did like, I'm like, so I'm going to be by the pool in this moment. Like I've, I'm basically scripting out my vacation with my wardrobe. We storyboard. Totally. People. Totally. totally. <laughs> but that's also why I feel like now knowing you're a Leo, it makes so much sense because you're so comfortable modeling as well. Like the stuff you were doing on the runway this fashion week, I would be shooketh to my core to be like... I mean, you looked amazing, but it's not something that a lot of people can just step into with like the level of confidence that you seem to step into it with. I'm glad that it registered as confidence. <laughs> Were you nervous? Of course. You just seem to like own it. Like you seem like I'm supposed to be here. This makes all the sense in the world. As Leos, we also lie to ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just a space I want to be in. Yeah. It, it, it's not necessarily confidence. It's just like extreme desire. Hmm. Actually, whereas like I really, 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 especially Chrome was the first opportunity that I had to walk a a runway. I was like, I want that. Yes. I want that so badly. But it's really more, more, more than anything else. A lot of the things that I think and of course, too, like being a person who interviews and is interviewed, I spend a lot of time like observing myself. It's almost never confidence. It's always like, I just really want Mm. to do this. And so I will. Yeah. And that, I guess that's confidence. Yeah. But I don't, I mean, there's doubt in there too. <laughs> there's doubt in there too, but, but yeah. The desire is the, the, the thing that gets me over the finish line. That makes sense. And that's actually a really helpful way for people to think about when they're nervous for things. Like what's the ultimate goal that you want to achieve? Because if you let your nerves hold you back, you won't do that thing. Don't do a thing. I mean, your decision even to leave the Met, I'm sure people were like, that's crazy. And I know like within what, like a few days of you quitting, you were like on the way to Milan to shoot something for Prada, like to take over their Instagram account. So I put in my notice and then was there for another two months. When was the product oh, wow. takeover? I think the product takeover might have been before that. Okay. Um, the week that I left the Met, I like went into NPR to do an interview about my life and the work that I was doing. And yeah, in this last year since I left has been so many confirmations. But leaving the Met, yeah, it was just, it was the thing I had to do. Mm-hmm. You just trust your intuition? It wasn't really trust. Okay. Um I had reached a point where I just couldn't do it anymore. And I, especially in the last few weeks, have really been trying to be more honest with myself, with my community, even in interviews, Mm -hmm. because I think it's important to let that be a part of the story too. Should it be, should it be important enough to be chronicled? Mm -hmm. um, Is that it wasn't a moment of victory for me. Mm. It was really like, I can't do this anymore. Really? I can't do this in the way that I've been doing it. Mm -hmm. And so I need to take the agency that I've been earning through my work in Mm -hmm. all of these different spaces 
and put it together and build a life from it. Wow. Because the version of the life that I'm living right now is no longer sustainable, Mm -hmm. um, is no longer serving me in the ways that I want to. Mm. And as much as I loved the job that I had there with all of its complications, it was still one of the most incredible experiences of my life, period. Yeah. I had to go. And you just knew. Yeah, it was just like, I was like in my office crying, writing my resignation letter, sent it, and just had to come back in the next day and spend the next few months before my my last date. Right. It's also interesting when you think about artists and specifically like women in art. You see, at least for me, when I'm studying art history, I feel like I learned so much about how you can design the life that you live and like hearing about women like Frida Kahlo or Cindy Sherman and the way that they built their lives, even without seeing it modeled for them. Mm. Do you think being around art also allows you to see new possibilities about how to like, you don't have to have like a nine to five or a corporate job and that's not the end all be all. Yeah. I think having the extreme privilege of so many artists in my life, right? designers too, like mm-hmm. designers live in a completely different vortex than I think oh, yeah. the rest of us, sure. like, or architects, you know, right, right. where you're thinking at a scale yes, that is just like wild, you right. know? And so that's, the macro way of thinking that I think some artists tap into in that frequency and a lot of the artists in my immediate network tap into, I think helped to free me because, and I think that this is true for many people who work in the art and in the arts. And I think sometimes it happens for people across other creative industries Mm -hmm. as well. You think that your biggest goals are this thing that you can see, you know, and we're often taught to map backwards from it where it's like, oh, you want to be the CEO. Oh, yes. you want to be the director. Mm-hmm. Oh, you want to be, you it's know. It's a title. Yeah, it's like this title. Yeah. And in the space of the ways in which sometimes artists' brains work, it's just not the same. Yeah. You know, like I... So we have to talk, because you, again, you have such a great look. And I want to <laughs> know what your favorite, like, beauty treatments, beauty products are. Like, what are your holy grails? I'm so new to this whole beauty thing. So really? I have to start there. I'm sure brands... Oh, wait, by the way, speaking of brand sending you stuff, you had a very thoughtful Instagram post um, Gwyneth Pelt. I won't let's <laughs> let's leave her comments aside. Um, but she commented underneath asking if you were enjoying the Goop Luminizer, and I was like, "Wow, like Gwyneth and Kimberly, first name basis." So I know you're being sent stuff. Mm-hmm. So you're just plunging into it head first. Yeah, kind of. I I'm very fortunate to have an ex partner of mine who was really into skincare. Okay, and. They taught me so much about like the little things that you could do that go a long way. Yes. Like, oh, that's cool. Um, Because I was definitely a, so I should back up. My mother raised me with the ideology that beautiful women don't need makeup. Ah. And it was really as generous as it was destructive. Because I think that there's these weird ways in which we prescribe what women should do that I was like, oh, mom, like we're going to learn this together, you know? Yes. Um, and my mom is like profoundly sweet and generous and thoughtful and like robust woman. But it was one of those those isms in the back of my head as I got older that I was like, mm. oh, maybe this didn't 100% help me. Yes. Um, or help my ideas in ways that I saw like what adult womanhood might look like. Interesting. Because uh, when I started using makeup and when I started, you know, beautifying and applying what I, you know, I'm like of that beauty as armor kind of sect of people. Mm -hmm. I felt so strange about it. And I was like, oh, because I have this embedded idea that I don't need this thing, but I love it. And now my mom wears makeup, of course. Oh, really? (laughs) So it's so funny. (laughs) 
And I say this is no criticism to her, but it's just one of those interesting paths, whatever. Yeah, no, that has to have a profound impact on the way you view makeup growing up, if that's what you've been taught. Yeah, it, yeah, it was like taught that it was like borderline evil. Mm, and, and it was like this obscuring of yourself versus right. an enhancement. Right, yeah. right. Or a drawing towards or a drawing onto, mm. you know. But beauty and skin, of course, are two different things, too. Right? Yes. True. Which I'm also like learning every day. I'm like, <laughs> follow, like, Lindsay is like my favorite yes. on Instagram. When Lindsay like sits and goes through her beauty routine, I'm like taking so many notes because she's so like, she's such an, like, a, like, I love how generous she is. Yeah. And she takes the time to go through the whole regimen. And I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, I'm gonna learn. I'm gonna try this mask. I'm gonna do this. But I still feel really like in a R&D phase with all of it. <laughs> but I do go to Rescue Spa now. Okay. Which nice. I love. And that's like, they sell the Biologique Recherche products, which everyone loves. Mm-hmm. I am not a huge fan of the P50. Everyone. Wow. I've I know. never. I know. It's like, very, never heard someone say the that hottest that take like the ever. Yeah, I love that. I just, it's not for me. What's your toner? I use, right now, I just use witch hazel. Mm. It's like a rose water witch hazel. I tend to go more like on the natural side. Like I try to make stuff. Yeah. Yeah. The P50, like I get the obsession, but the ingredients are just so harsh Mm. that I'm like, I can't put fennel on my face. I feel that. It's too much. Yeah. Um, Okay. So rescue spa. What, do you get facials there? I get facials there. Nice. It's like my little treat for myself every once in a while. Nice. Um, I like the treatment in and of itself. I don't Mm. really have... I've been going through weird phases with my skin in general. I went through a period of taking birth control and it just like rocked my shit. Yeah. And my skin just hasn't bounced back. Mm. And so I like going to do the facial moment because it it makes me confront my skin as it exists right Mm now. Mm -hmm. And there's something in that for me that I find healing in where I can run away from these things like these, you know, some would call imperfections. Some being me, some would not. But sitting with them and talking to someone and finding remedies Mm -hmm. is a brave work to do. Yeah. And I find Rescue Spa is like a good holding space for that. Nice. Because it just, it makes it, it's like the bougiest shit ever, first of all. Like the price point is ridiculous. So anyone listening, like I'm not saying go to Rescue Spa (laughs) um, outright. I'm just saying that's where I like to go. Yeah. But it is a space for me that like satisfies and helps helps usher me towards like, a healing of, mm-hmm. you know, the way in which I view myself and yeah. whatever. I would imagine there aren't a lot of Black practitioners there. Or am I wrong? I don't know. Okay. I never thought about it. Yeah. Yeah, actually. There, which is weird for me, but I, I just never thought mm-hmm. about it. I feel like I've just been talking to people so much lately about skincare and how it's different for people with melanated skin and mm-hmm. how there are things that inherently Black skincare professionals, whether it's a black dermatologist or a facialist, understand about black skin. Mm. But then it's it's also like up to, you know, maybe it yeah. doesn't matter. And I think it does matter. It's just, I think for me, the only people who have recommended it to me are black. So it yeah. never dawned on me to think mm. like, should the person who's doing it also be, be black? black? Yeah. And I'm like, y'all? Yeah. I and think- especially the black people who have recommended it are like the most. Yeah. Like you trust them in it. People oh, yeah. who are Same. like, this is where I go. And so yeah. I'm like, well, if you go get great service here, I am going to go get great service here. <laughs> yeah. I would love to find a black owned business that feels good, but I just don't, I don't know of them. Yeah. Yet. Okay. Well, if people know, they can DM you. Yeah, Your DMs are probably up. crazy, Let but me know. yeah. I just found a, I started going to Life Wellness Spa. I got my first massage there oh, and they're in bedside. I love a massage. Oh, my goodness. I was like, this is it. I don't want to go anywhere else. Um, and do you do like, do you work out? Are you into fitness? I know you're, you're, you're always dancing, having the best time at the club, which yeah. I love to see. Yeah, it's my life. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, my, it's my space. 
I recently, I go through different kind of phases and periods. I also have had many battles with my body and Mm. ebbs and flows with eating and all those things. Do you Um, think a lot of that comes from all girls school or I don't know. I, I I had the same experience. I've had looking back, I've realized and how much of it is conditioned in me. Like I still weigh myself every day and people like think that's crazy, Mm. but I'm like, I've just done it for so long that it's Mm. like automatic. And it's like, just how I know how I'm doing. And I realize that like when it's a number I don't like, how that impacts my mood and mm. self-esteem. Yeah. And I think a lot of it stems back to all girls school because people would compare like their height and weight and mm. say like, oh, I have five pounds to lose. Mm. I never went to a co-ed high school. So I don't know if those conversations happen as freely, but at all, all girls school, certainly they happened all the time. Yeah. Did you feel like you had a preoccupation with your weight throughout high school, college? I don't know what time without it. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a overweight kid. And so Mm. I just don't know a time without an internal script about my weight. Interesting. I mean, I was like, I learned how to walk. I learned how to hate my body. Like it just happens, Mm. unfortunately. But I wouldn't say that being at a women's college helped or hurt it really. Although I will say that being at Smith, because it's an imperfect space, but there I found... It was like the place I learned about like a body positivity movement mm-hmm. or like the po- the possibilities of something like that yeah. on a campus where it's like sometimes the best thing you could be is naked, not the best thing you could be is thin. Mm. You know what I mean? Yes. And I think that that space was a healing space for me, but I still, you know, ebbed and flowed while I was there as well. Yeah. But there was just this thing where it was like this exuberance and nudity on that campus, yeah. good or bad. You just kind of ask different questions of what you want your body to do. Yes. And where you want to find your body and how how you want to engage in, in the company of others mm-hmm. in your in your body in an embodied experience. My first night on campus, I lived in the streaking dorm, <laughs> um, which I didn't know. Fun times. Didn't yeah. know when I got there. Um, we went around the room and everyone said their names and their pronouns. And it was kind of like name, pronoun, and we're getting naked now. And yeah. I was like, ah! Welcome to college. Right. And... I was like, I don't know if I'm ready for the, and I don't even think I got fully naked that first night, but there was just something like as like kind of a general tenant on that campus that like, you just going to see some ass sometimes. Right. Like it's just going to happen. Yeah. And I think that that constant thrust definitely brought me to a good place, but I don't think it was like perfect by any means, but being in boarding school sucked body wise. I live, I talked to my therapist who's also like specializes in like eating stuff, but the place that I always cite, like some of my bigger traumas in terms of like body image and all that stuff mm-hmm. was my freshman year of high school. My dorm room was right next to our hall mirror, like mm. the hall long mirror. Yeah. And so to watch people inspect themselves. Wow. It was something. It was really something else. And, and make comments as they inspect themselves, right? Because I feel like that's where it becomes damaging. Someone like grabs their very small thighs and they're like, oh my gosh, my thighs are so huge. And then you look down at your thighs and you're like, if you think your thighs are huge, then. Right. Or they yeah. tell me about their thighs and I'm like, why are you telling me? <laughs> yeah. Those are your thighs. Right. And what does it have to do with me? Yeah. Right. What does it have to do with me? And for any number of reasons, you can internalize that exchange. Yeah. Wow. Um, that's deep. Yeah. And so it's a journey we're on. Yeah. Maybe the streaking and nudity, though, now that I'm like connecting all the dots, I feel like maybe that's what prepared you to be so like in chromat just because you walked down the runway in like your nipples were covered mm-hmm. and some like main private areas were covered, but like you were not wearing a lot. So maybe mm-hmm. the streaking helped yeah. you just jump into that. Yeah. And also my friend, Naomi Shimada, who is incredible. Yes. 
she was one of those people who like also really helped me because last summer, I think it was in this, like my, I was going to call it freedom summer, but freedom summer is something very specific. Um, but in last summer, in this moment of being, I took a two month break from the map uh, last summer. It really was such a profoundly important time for a number of reasons. But one of which was at the tail end of this kind of like Euro tour I'd taken myself on. I did a project with Converse and I forget what else I did. Um, but I landed in London. It was at Naomi's flat. It was just like nudity was just kind of like a house rule. Yeah. And I remember standing in her bathroom, like brushing my teeth, like butt ass naked, <laughs> no one batting an eyelash. Yeah. And that was really the, that was the turning point for me. That's what, I mean, especially with the Kalina Strata look where Hillary was like, I don't want to ask you to do this if you don't feel comfortable. And I was like, I kind of have to. Yeah. You know, because I just, I want to be the person that can do this mm-hmm. and not necessarily for confidence, but because I wanted to be the one walking down the runway with these nipple covers on yeah, and this beautiful skirt, this beautiful shirt. I just wanted, I, I had, like I had the, like the Vogue runway image in my head. Yes. And I needed to see it. Yes. And uh, you in that space. Yeah. That's powerful. Yeah. That's powerful. Now that you're getting more into makeup, do you have any like favorite makeup products, things that you do? Like, I feel like you do a great winged eyeliner. I always love that look on you. It's home for me. I don't know what, it, I mean, it was the first, it was the first beauty gesture I ever did that felt like, oh, whoa, this is what I should look like. Mm. And I don't even know why I used the word should, but it was that. Like yeah. I was with, it was in Las Vegas. Oh my God. <laughs> right? Ridiculous. Yeah. Um, it was like my first makeup kit I ever had. And I just went for it with this like really shitty like eyeliner and I looked at myself in the mirror and saw myself back in this way that I just have, oh, and I, re- I feel like I return to it every time I do it. And I want to mm. learn how to do like more stuff. Yeah. Um, but for right now, it's the the go-to. Your go-to look. Yeah. Because it's just look. home. Yeah. No, I feel like a winged liner. I still haven't perfected mine, but it's like the look that I feel like I just like love the most. And a strong lip. I love a strong lip. I love a strong lip. What, love a strong lip. What What about like treat like at home treatments? Are you into like face masks? Like, are you a sheet masker? I'm not a sheet masker. Okay, I'm not either. I'm actually like very anti. Yeah, I wanted to. I thought that those were the only masks you could do, right? Because I'm coming in full, yeah, full yeah. ignorance, right? <laughs> like literally taking notes, following Tahira and following Lindsay, just trying to be better, yeah. right? And I see them applying the sheet masks, and I'm like, I just know this isn't for me. Yeah. Um, but I started using this mask also in the bio- biologique family. That's great. And it's like, I'm like a purifying mask. I forget what it's called. Okay. I'm terrible at this beauty stuff. No, no, no. I feel like everyone's like, this is the SKU for this product. Um, <laughs> we'll find it and add it to the show notes. Don't yeah, worry. Yeah. But this mask is great because I love a mask that I can put on and still do, do things. Stuff. Yes, exactly. And the sheet mask is like, you got to sit down for exactly. 20 minutes. Who's doing that? Yeah, exactly. The sheet masks, I don't like them for that reason, like the sliminess and the uncomfortable, but like, that's not good for the environment. They're all individually wrapped with so much packaging. Mm-hmm. And two, a lot of them, like the Korean ones, like, I don't know what is in this. Mm-hmm. I'm not just going to put anything on my face. Like I need to, like, I'm a big label reader. Yeah. So I love me- that you were like, these are the chemicals in this thing. I was like, I don't think I've ever read the bottle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's like, it's a, I, for me, it's like, really important to spend the time reading labels when it comes to beauty stuff and to try to be as natural as possible. But then when it comes to makeup, I go totally toxic. Mm. Like skincare, I'm like good and natural. And then I'm like, ooh, but I love this NARS and this Pat McGrath and this Fenty. So I'm just going to 
take it take it in. Um, Life's what, only so long. <laughs> I know. Okay. What about your biggest beauty mistakes that you've learned from and bounced back from? Biggest beauty mistake. Well, it's funny. Part of me wants to say arching my eyebrows because I just realized I don't have to do it. Like it, like it feels like such a silly investment that I was doing yeah. for the longest time because they're just fine. You know, like yeah. they work. And every time I sit down in a makeup chair, they're like, you have beautiful brows. And I'm like, I just wish people had told me this sooner. Because yes, I you do have great brows. So much time waxing and threading and mm. just like whipping them within an inch of their life. Yeah. And what I really just needed was like a little sculpt. Yeah. And so I would say that that is one. But then I think I went through this phase or I didn't think I did. I went through this white lipstick phase. Oh, interesting. That's a, that's a, it's hard to do without being kind of corpse-like. It was dark. It was dark. <laughs> There's like some artsy article uh, on like important people in like the black art chronology. And that's probably like the last thing I ever did with the white lipstick look. And for what it's worth, it wasn't bad, but I look yeah. back and I'm like, you were going through it. <laughs> like red hair, white lips. What is this? Warm colors, babe. Warm colors. Yeah. Um, but even that I wouldn't consider a mistake. It was just yeah. funny because I found it at like Patricia Field or something. Like just like the most sinister shop. Yeah. And was running with oh, it. Like, I miss you Patricia tell me Field. Shit. Yeah. It's not someone around anymore, is it? No. I really miss Patricia Field. And what about your piercings and tattoos? Like when did those kind of come into your look? It was the most women's college shit ever. Okay. But I got to Smith and it, there's a thing that happens in the trajectory for some, when you get to a women's college where it's like, I shaved my hair and I got all these tattoos or like, whatever, there's like these big, this is me now yeah. kind of moments that yeah. sometimes happen on women's college campuses. And for me, it was piercings. Okay. So I got my septum pierced. My mother also hates tattoos. Okay. My family hates tattoos. And my mother was always like, you can pierce whatever you want. You can't get a tattoo. And so I ran with that. Like I got my belly button pierced when I was 15 and then I got second holes and all these things. And when I got to college, they just got increasingly more extreme to cartilage, to bridge of my nose, yeah. to, um, piercing. And then I got my tongue pierced. Oh, wow. Um, I got my nipple pierced. Okay. Because so I was like really doing it. Doing and it. I was like, I just want to put a hole in all of these things. Yeah. But yeah, that was that was kind of, it got, it got intense when I got to college. Yeah. I feel like Scary Spice had a tongue ring and that like always made me want to have a tongue ring growing up because I thought she was just the ultimate. She was it. She was really it. She was really it. And it's actually funny because you've come up in other interviews because I've interviewed two artists. I love interviewing artists. Mm -hmm. So I talked to Lottie Anderson. Oh, yeah. And we talked about like, obviously, she grew up in London. So mm -hmm. like Scary Spice, what an influence it had on like what is considered beautiful. But then the fact that her name is Scary Spice, like, is that sort of problematic? And then Mandy Harris Williams. I don't know if you know her. She goes by Ideal Black Female on oh, yeah, Instagram. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she's just like thinking about beauty on like another level mm -hmm. but it is interesting when you think about piercings and tattoos because it's kind of like this permanent part of your self-expression that kind of goes with you to every look right so yeah. yeah yeah black tie casual yeah but that's why i feel like the most stylish people like when i think about lenny Kraut, like people who i really admire they kind of always have some piercings and tattoos well it's it's nice to see and for some people it manifests as piercings mm -hmm. but i think it's really beautiful when you see people experimenting with the body and what the body can do mm. oriented towards like and through a beauty practice. Interesting. You know, where yeah. you're like, oh yeah, like I see you trying these things because you want to find like not necessarily your truest self, but just, I don't know, like the exercise of beautifying yourself. I'm yeah. like so into when you can observe over time. Totally. And like Lenny was so beautiful. And I think Lenny knows 
how beautiful he is. And Definitely. Like, to watch this trajectory of like increase, like or like Dennis Rodman, who was like my beauty idol as a child. Oh my god! But like watching Dennis Rodman work through, yeah, you know, all of these different ways of being towards maybe a heightened self or something. It's exciting. Yeah. Do you enjoy the getting ready process? Like for a big, like when you like have to like do it up? Yeah. First, full stop. How do you prepare? Like, how do you get ready? It it depends on the time. Okay. Like, to be honest, today I didn't have time to get ready in the way that I wanted oh, to. but you look great. Thank you. And I feel great. I'm either like 10 minutes or three hours per Okay. Second. Yeah. Same. And it depends on the day. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah. I can whip it up real quick and yeah. like get out of the house. Exactly. And, you know... No one would be the wiser. Right. But it's not preferred, I feel like. No. I'm like, I want to start with, you know, a hair mask or something. I don't know, yeah. a hair mask. But, you know, like that level of like, is that really necessary? Yeah. Kind of prep. Yeah. Like, I love that. I love luxuriating. that. <laughs> yeah. I'm so here for I'm like, I took a bath. Yes. Before I put on my gown. Is oh like, my gosh. Wait, do you have a bath in your apartment? I do. Do you realize what a blessing that is? Yeah. Do you add like bath salts and like... Yeah, so I've been really this year into new moon ceremonies. Ooh, and I can't believe we're getting into this so late into the discussion. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me more. I'll, I'll make it so quick, but I've been really invested in it. I went to, there's a healer named Liana Naima, and she partnered with a healer named Shade Foxy, okay. and they did this new moon ceremony many moons ago. Okay. And stopping to acknowledge the energetic shift of the moon mm. did something for my brain that I felt like I really needed to hone. Mm. And I started doing it for myself. And so when it was new moon in Leo was the last time I ran myself a bath, which was way too long ago, but I did a bath bomb. I lit like seven candles in my bathroom. I'm moving actually on Friday. And so my new apartment, I was like, I need a bathtub, period. Yeah. Need it. I was never a bather before very recently. I went to Japan last year and did onsen for the first time and was like, oh, yeah. this is bathing culture. Like, this is what it can yeah. be. And whatever I can do to get it to this point, like, it's not mm-hmm. just like, oh, I, I sat myself in a bath. It's like, I'm putting in, like, not rose petals, but like, yeah. if I really get into it. Creating a moment for yourself. Exactly. Yeah, I love that. And then I also feel like for me, like the ideal getting ready process when you have those beautiful three hours, it's like you put on a playlist, maybe you make yourself a drink, mm-hmm. like you have enough time that you can try makeup looks that don't work and mm-hmm. still wipe them off and restart the canvas. But those are the best nights out because you're like, I worked it out and found the best one. Yes, yes. <laughs> and we're out. <laughs> How do you deal with like, brands must send you so much stuff. Not really. Really? Mm-hmm. Which is nice. That is not an invitation to send me stuff. <laughs> yeah, brands, calm down. Calm yeah, down. yeah, Don't yeah. Send like anything. there's definitely some things where I'm like, I wish I could just get this for free. Um, I'm sure you could get anything for free, but it's also, I think, good that you yeah. maintain your integrity. It gets wild after a while. I mean, yeah. I follow so many people where I'm like, like Chrissy posts things. Oh my God. Like, Every you single get time. so much stuff. I couldn't deal with that. I, I get a lot of clothes. I get a lot of sneakers. Cause like my secret thing is that I'm a sneaker head. Oh really? Uh-huh. I feel like you're so like in dresses and like, but I'm a sneaker dress person. Really? It's like the thing I've been like, I get a lot of sneakers and I get a lot of clothing, but I don't get a lot of beauty products. And for that, I'm very thankful. Yeah. Because it can be just overwhelming. And then you feel like you have to try all of them. Yeah. And all that stuff is like, you know what size I am, but like, you don't know the, how this product is going to impact yeah. my skin. Yeah. And so I'm actually really happy not to get those things sometimes. Yeah. No, I think that's good. I think yeah. that's good. Are there any other like specific like beauty treatments or products that you really like? Mm-hmm. Like where you're like, oh my God, I didn't know about this. And now it's changed the game for me. Not that I can think of right now. I'm really into scents though. I don't know Ooh, if that counts like as fragrance? beauty. Yeah, of fragrances. Of course. Yeah. Um, there's this 
uh, like vetiver scent that I started wearing. Yes. It's like a roll on one. It's like, I think it might be oil based, but it's roll on. Okay. It's, um, it's called Next of Kim. It's this company founded by a black woman based in Brooklyn. Oh, amazing. Her name is Kim. And it's the bomb. Like really? it is the bomb and I love it. And I actually went to Bermuda with Shiona Torini yes. in August and she hooked me up with these really beautiful body butters from this company called Salt and Spray okay. in Bermuda. But between those two things, like I really feel like I can conquer the world. Yes. <laughs> no, smelling great makes a huge difference. And I love these like essential oil roller things because mm-hmm. I think they're like just, it's like this anointing yourself process. Yeah. Kimberly, Mm -hmm. when do you feel most beautiful? I don't know when I feel most beautiful. I feel like for me, I spend a lot of my day not looking at myself or not like thinking so much about my own body. And it's something that I'm working on. Mm. But there's sometimes when I shock myself with my beauty and I wouldn't say that it's like a particular time, but um, it's been a thrill. You know, well, sometimes you catch yourself, whether it's an action that you're doing or the ways in which it's like your action is refracted or reflected back at you through things. You know, like some days I wake up and I just text multiple friends that I've been thinking about them and that I love them. And the other day I got one back and was like, ooh, like this to me is like a beauty that I want to bring to the world. Mm. Right. And so for me, I'm still in this like, shock and awe moment of of beauty because I think that beauty in and of itself is like this place making and space taking that I'm just getting started with in a way that I'm slowly dipping my toe into but it feels good and seeing yourself as beautiful because it sounds like growing up that wasn't always the case and now you find yourself in this position where like so much of your beauty is a big part of your appeal and like your place in media is the way that you look. Yeah. But now you're going to, now you get to experience that for yourself and see yourself that way. Yeah. That's really amazing. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing and coming on to the podcast. I'll drop links to all of your socials so people can follow you and get to know your work. And yeah, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. This was fab. Yes. Thank you guys for listening. I'll be back next week with another interview. Yes. Yallin', Jigga man be ballin', leave chicks pigeon toe, some of them be crawlin', get the best of you whenever I put my all in, have mommies callin' for the law, darling, Jigga and Paulin, ass drop. Hold up, what was that? Boring, no flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 